0: Stephen that was so powerful appreciate you sharing if you guys have space in the middle if you wouldn't mind squeezing in a little bit to make room for people who are coming late that would be super fantastically wonderful my name is Aaron if i haven't met you and i get to continue in this series on philippians we're going to be talking about philippians 1 tonight so when you think about life you know life really is just a composite of our relationships the circumstances and the things that we devote ourselves to. When I was in high school, these shirts were popular. Um, So whatever hobby or sport you were into, you could find a shirt. And if you couldn't find the shirt, there was a kiosk in the mall, and they'd like make you a shirt. Whatever your passion was in life, essentially you were like a walking advertisement that your life revolved around basketball, that there was nothing greater in life than that or cheerleading or cross-stitching or whatever you preferred, there was a shirt for you. And a few years ago, I had the unique opportunity to attend a funeral of a lady that I had never met in person. It wasn't like I was like a wedding crasher, or like I was not a funeral crasher. Um, there's a story I'm going to share it with you. Um, but I was invited to this funeral. I just never met this woman in person. So I'm involved in a weekly women's Bible study. I've been a part of it for 13 years. But one year, one year, I decided, I think I want to tossed my hat into leadership and I lasted one year. It was too much to juggle challenge responsibilities and those responsibilities. But there was a woman assigned to my group and her name was Cynthia. And so I was part of my role as a leader was I was supposed to call all the women in my group every week. And that's a stretch. I'm not a huge phone talker. That was a challenge for me. But this woman was never able to come to our group. She had a disease called cystic fibrosis, which is a genetic deadly lung disease. And so Science and medicine have progressed rapidly, and now people with that disease are living into their 40s, maybe even 50s. I haven't read much on it, but Cynthia did not live that long. In fact, her older brother had already died of the disease. So I decided that when she passed away that I should go to the funeral. And her parents have buried both of their children. Like, do you you go to a funeral for... Living right, and so I wanted to support her parents, but I didn't really know her. I talked on the phone with her, but I didn't really know her. So it's very sobering to go into a room of people that you don't really know and to hear someone's life essentially encompassed in about 20 minutes. Right, you're getting a glimpse into what they valued, what was most important to them, what their life revolved around, all in about 20 minutes. And to think if someone was to go to my funeral that didn't know me, what would they hear? What were Going to be my achievements that people you know applauded. What was going to be the theme of my life? The statement that my life made? What was that going to be in a matter of 20 minutes? You know, and it's quite an experience to do that. I would encourage you if you ever have the opportunity to buy it up, you know, there might be a, a friend whose parent dies and you go and support them, or maybe a coworker's sibling dies. And it's very telling and it's very enlightening. Um, it's very sobering to hear the message of someone else's life and to get a glimpse into that through someone else's words. So whatever your T-shirt will read or does read right now likely is what's going to be highlighted on your funeral, right at your funeral. And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight is we're going to take a little glimpse of what I think the Apostle Paul's T-shirt would have read way back when, when T-shirts didn't exist. But as we begin our journey through Philippians tonight, I think Paul's T-shirt would have read... Christ is life. Not because of what he wrote, essentially he did write a lot about that, but because the way he lived backed up what he wrote. So I'd like to challenge us tonight to not just consider wearing a shirt, that yeah, Christ is my life, but actually living the reality that our lives would orbit around Christ. That it wouldn't orbit around a degree or an achievement or a family, but it would orbit around Jesus Christ. So Neil did a great job last week of laying the foundation for kind of who Paul was, the Philippian church, what they were about, and kind of what was going on in that point of history. But if you weren't here, just a quick synopsis, you can listen to it online. You know, Paul is writing from prison in Rome. Um, he was chained to guards. He didn't have freedom to walk around, but he writes this letter that is so full of joy and rejoicing. And if I was living in Paul's current reality, those definitely wouldn't been it. The forefront of my mind. You know, Paul had helped to start, start this church in Philippi and he was really concerned about their well being. So they had sent Epaphroditus to visit Paul in Rome to kind of bring a first hand account. This is how we're doing to bring gifts to him and to just check on Paul. So I've divided up the Philippians 1 chapter tonight in three segments just for the sake of, of time and following along. So first we're going to look at Paul's partners in Philippi, then we're going to look at Paul's perspective. And then finally, Paul's purpose. So, diving right into Philippians 1, you know, like Neil mentioned last week, Paul had this deep friendship with the Philippian church. He writes with this tenderness and affection. And the letter really begins with thanksgiving and prayer. So, verses three through six say this I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Do you hear his emotion in just those short sentences? You know, Paul is communicating, I have you in my mind. I'm thinking about you. You are a joy to me. In the midst of being in a situation where I know I would be completely self-consumed if I was in prison and shackled to guards, he is not, he's not preoccupied with himself. He's focused on other people. You know, it has been said of me, and it is very true. Out of sight, out of mind, really describes my personality to a certain extent, which is not flattering in any way. And I would say, Paul, that does not describe Paul in any way. That describes me, that does not describe Paul. Though he was not with them, they were in his mind. He really cared about them. Then he continues on writing in verses 7 through 8. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel— All of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. So Paul is communicating, I don't just have you in my mind, I have you in my heart. Like, I long for you. He's got these feelings towards this group of people that he cares so deeply about, and he's expressing that to them. And he goes on to say in verses 9 to 11, and this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, the glory and praise of God. So he communicates, I have you in my prayer. So I have you in my mind, I have you in my heart, I have you in my prayers. Like he never writes, I love you. Like, that's something that we throw around a lot, right? But that's not what Paul says. But yet his love for them is undeniable in just these first 11 verses. And he doesn't pray, like, generic prayers, like, God, bless the people of Philippi. No, like, he prays specifically for their needs because he knows them. He knows what's going on in their lives, and he wants to see God at work in these very specific ways. And I think you and I, when we read these verses... can't help but long for having connections like that with other people, that kind of depth of relationship. And God really created us for that. But sometimes it's like, I don't even know where to begin in forming friendships like that. that. What does that look like? You know, it's been my experience that the closest thing that I've had to those kind of relationships come when, you know, we join together, we pray together, we work together to advance the gospel. You know, my sophomore year, of college, I had the opportunity to be a part of a group very similar to this at the University of Oklahoma. And I went on the spring break trip and God began doing, just illuminating some things in my life at that trip. And then the week after that, my discipleship team leader, Kara, met with me. And um, she had some firm words to say to me about the direction of my life and the trajectory I was going. And she said it in love, but I will never forget where I was sitting in the student union hearing her say those things. And I thought I need to make some changes in my life. So the the ministry I was a part of really emphasized living in the dorms, saying you can meet more people and connect with more people living in the dorms by accident than you can on purpose in apartments, right? But it's a lot easier in Oklahoma. We have a lot of land in Oklahoma. L.A. don't have as much land. And so I prayed about it, and I felt like God was leading me to move to the athletic dorms at OU, which there aren't the athletic dorms because NCAA rules says 51% non-athlete. So they needed me. To live there. I was the non-athlete, or one of the 51%, but I really didn't want to do it alone. I'm an extrovert, and I just love doing things with other people, so I just began to pray, and no one wanted to live there. It was across the street from the stadium, all the freshman dorms on the other side of campus. We even had our own cafeteria, like you never saw anyone else. Um, my brother was a freshman that year, and he was also an athlete, but he didn't live over there. My mom would be like, have you seen your brother lately? It's like, mom, no, I live way over here. So I prayed, and, I, and there was this girl named Renee who was transferring in. Never met her, she was dating one of my friends and I was like, okay. So we meet and we were assigned to lead a Bible study together in this dorm, in this freshman dorm. And like, I don't have an athletic bone in my body, but Renee had played NAI basketball, at, like I don't know, really tiny college in Oklahoma and transferred in. So we realized quickly we had no idea what we were doing. <laughs> so we were like, start a Bible study. <sighs> okay. And so we decided that we needed to pray. So we met each week. I, Renee loved the color purple. Her whole dorm room was purple. I remember sitting her purple beds red. And we would just pray. And we would pray for the girls one by one. And they were like, okay, Kelly's softball games this night. And then Pachi had the gymnastics competition. And then we never went and saw Allison's golfing. We we're like, I don't know. That's not very exciting. So she missed out. But I mean, we would bring everybody we knew. Um, my brother, I would took him to women's basketball. He was like, what are we doing here? I was like, we have to go and support them. So we just tried to enter their lives as much as we could. And we were inviting them to Bible study, you know, sharing the gospel with them. And it was exciting to be a part of, but I have never had a friend like that where God knit our hearts together so quickly. I'd only known her like four months, and she asked me to be a bridesmaid in her wedding, like it was just like, wow, and we only lived in the same dorm for nine months because in Oklahoma, people get married young, so she got married the summer after our junior year, and then she commuted two hours to finish up her degree, and so we were just together for that short amount of time but she is my closest friend from college. In fact, here's a picture. We had a milestone birthday. She planned this epic trip to New York City. It was like two country bumpkins hit the city. Oh my gosh, we had a wild time. But I said, Renee, there's a freshman who just finished her freshman year at USC. Can she spend the day with us? And Renee, what you need to know about Renee is that we, every time I go to Oklahoma, I see Renee, she is really a true partner in the gospel. Since I started raising support to come on staff a long, long time ago, She and her husband have never missed a month. She and her husband are true partners in the gospel. Like we partnered together at OU and now from Oklahoma, rural Oklahoma, they partner even now. She is one of my dearest friends in the world. And God did so much in our lives in such a short amount of time because we were headed the same direction, working with God to see the gospel known at OU in the athletic dorm. So I would encourage you if you think, how is this possible. It's possible with God, God can knit hearts together in ways that you would never believe. But it's going to take depth. It's going to take more than like, can you pray for my midterm this week? Guys, let's just be honest. Every week you have a midterm. Every single week. (laughs) Like, yes, some midterms are more stressful than others, but there's more going on in your life than midterms. So open up. Let people in. People want to know you, the real you and you will benefit so much from it. The Philippians, shared life then in a way that's, it's not as normal for us now. Not that it can't happen. It totally is possible now. And it's, it's needed now, but it's just going to take a lot more intentionality and work for that to happen. So what you read in Paul's letter is this joy that is so pervasive that's found in Jesus, but also in the relationships that he shared with the Philippians. And the same is true for you and me. There is so much joy in the depth of relationship that our hearts really long for. People who are pursuing Christ, who are spurring each other on to love Jesus, to know him, to share him, to glorify him. And so it is possible to develop peers and partners in the gospel that will really bless you and bring so much joy to your life. So we can follow Paul's example in that, in Paul's partners in Philippi. The second thing is Paul's perspective. So in Philippians one twelve through 14 says this, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. You think, chains, guards, that's not really the life I want. God, like, please, no. Neil talked about last week how... Paul, they were beaten and bloodied, and I would assume broken bones when you're beaten like that, right? Yeah, that's really, really, really not something I want to sign up for. But Paul saw, and what we need to see, and if we saw it like this, it would revolutionize our lives, that this next slide, that your story is part of Jesus' story, that your story is part of Jesus' story that Paul chose to see his circumstances from God's perspective. He chose to see how God was working through his imprisonment. You know, these palace guards were a captive audience. These weren't like figurative chains. No, no, this is not a poem. This is real life. These were chains, metal chains. to his chain to other human beings. So every visitor he had, every prayer he prayed audibly, every song he sung, they heard every single word and they were fully aware that the only reason he was in prison was for the gospel. He made it known to them, right? And Paul was also aware, word had gotten to him, that people outside the prison were sharing boldly the gospel without fear, despite the fact that Paul was being imprisoned because of the gospel. Paul's imprisonment was being used by God to spread the gospel. And I don't know about you, but in my life, when things are hard and when things don't make sense, I struggle to see how God is at work. We can learn so much from Paul's example. You know, our stories are not accidental, he has not forgotten you or me or anyone else. No, my story and your story is a part of Jesus' story. And if I choose to focus on him and the story that he is writing, and faithfully point other people to him, wow, I will find joy and peace that can't be found any other way. But when the frame I use to view my life is what I want, what I didn't get, what didn't go my way, I'm discouraged. So I'd ask you, you know, what is the frame you use to view your circumstances? What is the frame you use to view the world? We can't control what happens to us. Not at all, but we can control how we frame it, right? And the way we frame it determines how we respond to the circumstances of life. And Paul chose to see the circumstances of his life through the lens of God, God who loves him, God who is for him, God who is with him, God who hadn't forsaken him, the God who is using him to further the gospel. And that radically changed how Paul responded to the day in and day out prison sentence that he was enduring. And it can radically change our perspective by how we frame things, right? So we looked at Paul's partners and we looked at Paul's perspective. Now we're gonna look at Paul's purpose. So in Philippians 1, 18 through 21, it says this. Yes, I will continue to rejoice for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So we see in Paul's life joy in living for Jesus no matter the circumstances. Joy in living for Jesus no matter the circumstances. He was rejoicing, not that he was chained up to these men, he was rejoicing that God was furthering his purposes through Paul's circumstances. You know, what we see in Paul's life is that he's active, actively looking for God's activity in and through and around him, and he did not allow circumstances to dictate his outlook, and that's often what happens in my life. That trips me up again and again and again, but I love his words in verse 20, I eagerly expect and hope. What are you eagerly expecting and hoping for right now? And then verse 21 follows right after that. For me to live is Christ and die is gain. You know, the message I hear today in the world is, you know, for me to live is to accomplish the American dream. To live is to have a very padded bank account that's going to withstand any recession and I will be insulated from any trial of life. You know, for me to live is the promotion, the internship, the GPA, that is life. And Paul was writing to a people who did not have an easy life. He himself was not living an easy life. And we learn from his perspective in the midst of these really hard circumstances, wow, that it matters what we are orbiting our lives around. So what would it look like for you and I today to have this statement as a central part of our lives? For to me to live is Christ. You know, Paul is saying that everything that he had worked for, everything that he achieved, his singular aim was to bring glory to Jesus. And no, he's not neglecting to live his life, but he's thinking ahead to what awaits him being in the presence of Jesus and how it will be mind-blowingly wonderful to be in the presence of Jesus. But until then, his life is going to orbit around Christ. He's going to fully live his life to the glory of God. So I'd like to unpack this just a little bit for to me to live as Christ in just three ways. I think this can be explained and lived out in three ways. There's a lot more ways, but we're going to save up for another time. So the first thing, I think to live as Christ means to proclaim Christ. It means to proclaim Christ. You know, when you look at the life of Paul, you see that he preached in synagogues, he preached in prisons, he preached at the water's edge. You know, and he wasn't um, picky on who he preached to. He preached to philosophers and to kings and to priests and to Jews and to Gentiles and to men and to women. Essentially, anyone who was going to listen, Paul was going to share the gospel. So think about that. Who has heard the gospel from you lately? Who's heard the gospel from me lately? Who has heard why you're not stressed out and this ball of nerves about that project or the midterm because your hope is in Jesus and your identity rests in him and Rain or shine, pass or no pass, because we don't use the word fail anymore. God's in control, right? We proclaim Christ. And Paul isn't waiting for his circumstances to change in order to share the gospel. He's buying up these opportunities because his focus is on Christ and not his current situation, not his current pain. He didn't see being a prisoner as a pass, like, okay, well, once I'm out of prison, Then I'm going to share the gospel. He's like, no, no, no. Right here, right now. God has opened the door because I typically wouldn't be interacting with palace guards. This isn't quite my peer group. But Paul's like, for here and now, these are the people that God wants to hear the gospel. And I'm going to be obedient to that. So we see proclaiming Christ is one of the areas that to live as Christ can be. It also means imitating Christ. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Paul's aim to live as Christ was to imitate Christ. So how would Christ interact with these prison guards? How would Christ encourage these believers in Philippi? How would Christ maintain hope and perspective in the midst of day in and day out prison, right? And he writes a little bit further in verse 27. We're going to hop ahead a little bit. He says this, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, So he's reminding them of something very important. Their everyday lives are making a statement. And that is exactly what is true for you and I today. In the way we dress and the things we say, in the way we interact with people and the choices we make, is the statement of my life in harmony to the gospel or is it in dissonance? Like, what is the statement of my life? Is it in harmony to the gospel or in dissonance? But Paul's saying, got to close the gap. There should be no gap between belief and behavior, right? None at all. Our behavior reveals what we really believe. We'd like to think it's different, but it's not. This is how life works. So Christ is expressed in my everyday, day in and out, mundane, writing 350, interaction, small groups, all every day? What is the statement my life is making? Do I take Christ seriously enough to stay within the boundaries that are laid out in his word? I think when you and I ignore the fact that our lives are making a statement, we tend to live for whatever makes us happy in that moment, right? We live for our own pleasure, what we want. We fail to see that all of life is interconnected. And that this story today is actually part of a much bigger story and that there's consequences to every decision that I make. So Paul's saying, my life in Christ means that I am willingly and I am intentionally making an effort to align my steps with Jesus. It's not just going to happen. I'm not just going to wake up with this great feeling one day. No, it's going to take some effort and a lot of grace and a lot of power in the Holy Spirit. So the next slide, what I'd like you to remember from this part is that your life is to be shaped by the values of Jesus and not by culture. Your life is to be shaped by the values of Jesus and not by culture. Every day, culture is trying to squeeze you into its mold. We have to willingly fight against that and choose the values of Jesus. So what kind of statement is your life making? Because don't deceive yourself into thinking that your life isn't saying something. Oh, it it definitely is loud and clear. And if you're unsure, ask a roommate, ask a sibling, ask a mentor. You know, people want to help you. And this would be a great question to ask, you know, what is the statement my life is making? So we've looked at proclaiming Christ, we've looked at imitating Christ, and we're going to wrap up with looking at pursuing Christ. You know, Paul made it his aim that he was gonna run hard after Jesus until he saw him face to face. Christ was his ambition. Christ was his goal. So if pursuing Christ landed him in jail, then he was going to be confident that God was gonna use him there because there are no accidents in the kingdom of God. So he writes to wrap up the chapter in Philippians 1, 27 to 29, he says this, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. So if you go to the next slide, I kind of highlighted in yellow some of the things I wanted to point out about this passage. It says, without being frightened by those who oppose you. And he closes with saying, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. You know, it's really important to realize that pursuing Christ does not lead to an easy or a comfortable life. That's not what you sign up for as a follower of Christ. Paul tells them, you know, people are gonna oppose you. You are going to suffer. But for Paul, there was no other way to live. No other way. And the thing is, when you look at his life, you kind of read a biographical sketch of him, he had achieved very high status by the world standards. He was very well educated. He was very respected. And he was a man who had found that quite empty. But on his way to Damascus one day, he encountered Jesus and it changed his life forever. But he modeled for us since encountering Jesus this life dedicated to pursuing Christ. He writes further, and I don't want to steal Philippians 3 thunder, but he says Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ. That was his ambition, to know Christ. We see if you live long enough, you know, suffering is an instrument that God uses. It's an instrument in his hand that makes us more and more like Jesus. I don't know about you, but I don't typically welcome it, Um, but I'm grateful that God can use very hard things in life. It, it, it's a balm when life is very, very painful. But suffering is an inescapable part as followers of Jesus. So but we have this hope and this confidence that God is not cruel. He's not messing with us. He's not testing us to see if we will fail. He's using it. He's refining us and prayerfully He's opening the door for the gospel to be heard in areas of life that it wouldn't be heard if I wasn't going through the suffering that I'm going through. So as we wrap up and look at Paul's life in this letter, we just begin this letter, I find great hope in his example, and I hope you do as well, that God is sovereign over all the events of our lives, that he has ordered them, and I can accept, and not just accept, but I can embrace God's purpose in all things because I know that it comes from a good, good father, and he is working on a grander level than I can ever conceive. So I'd like to close with that question we talked about. You know, what is the statement your life is making? Paul's life shouted to live as Christ, Christ, my life. That was the anthem of Paul's life. What is your life saying? What is my life saying? In the 20 minutes when I meet Jesus face to face, what are people going to be uttering about my life? What did my life revolve around? Because be assured, our lives are saying something. Remember, if you're not sure, just ask someone close to you. But the life that you and I are looking for, the life we are longing for, is only found in Jesus. Those partners, those peers that your heart longs for, that deep connection, are found in people who are proclaiming, people who are imitating, and people who are pursuing Jesus. And you will find heart friends like you've never encountered before if you start linking arms with people headed in that direction and running hard after Jesus. And it's not too late. You know, sophomore Aaron could tell you some stories about freshman and sophomore Aaron, but my junior and senior year looked very different because of a conversation that was had with me and some vision cast for my life. And I would like to do the same for you guys tonight. It's not too late to make different choices, to find some friends who are headed a different direction, and to link arms with them and run after Jesus but the choice is yours. We each get to decide, right? I don't get to decide the statement for Zoe's life and she doesn't get to decide it for mine. We each decide. And so tonight, if, if any of this has resonated with you, you just feel the Holy Spirit prompting. You know, the staff are here and we would love to talk with you and to pray with you. It's sobering to think about that each of our days are numbered, right? We don't like to think about that. You guys are young and healthy. This is like the fittest you'll ever be in life. But each of us have an expiration date, if you will, And may we finish well. And may those who come after us say, that was the statement of their life. Christ was her life. Christ was his life. That's where real life is found. So let me pray and we'll welcome back up the worship team. Father, we thank you so much for preserving your word. We thank you for the Apostle Paul and his courage and his commitment to you, his perseverance and his friendships and how we learn so much from his example. And I pray that we would be people... We would examine the statement that our life is making, and we would submit to you, Jesus, and that we would realize that the life that we long for and that we're looking for is found no other place than in you, King Jesus, for you alone are worthy. We love you and ask these things in your name. Amen.